Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. I, I love the heart. I love the heart behind where God is taking us. Um, God is our, our Father, and the places that He's taking us and the things that He's building in us, the things He's forming in us. And if you were with us last week, you know that we're talking about the, the transition period going between Elijah to Elisha, where Elijah, who was the, you know, the sole prophet who stood up against the 400 prophets of Baal, like he, he called a showdown and he stood there, just him and God against 400 prophets of Baal. He was a man, a solitary man, and God called him out of that solitary, isolated life and into a place of community. And I want to look in that a little bit because I feel like that's kind of the transition. God calls us out of places of isolation. God calls us out of places where the, we're the lone ranger. We're looking for the superhero, like that one person that's the answer. And it's the fact that he calls us into a place of community where all of us together do greater, grow greater, become greater than we are on our own. And it's the purpose for which God created us. I know from the very beginning, you've heard me say this before, if you've been around very long, at the very beginning, God created a family. He created a family connection right there in the garden. He said, from this family is going to flow all the people of the earth. And even in Psalms, David prophesied, he says that he places the lonely into families. And when he came and, and walked the earth, when Jesus was here, he called his disciples to come into family connection. And we're going to look at that a little bit more here today. And if we, if we remember the story of last week, remember Elijah, after he had his greatest victory of his life, the greatest victory almost in the history of Israel, one guy stood down the prevailing religious system, the, the prevailing political system, and God sent fire from heaven and consumed not only the offering on the altar, but the stones of the altar itself. And then he outran Ahab's chariot. You know, the king takes off in his chariot and Elijah runs faster than the horse and chariot to beat him back to town. And then Jezebel, Ahab's wife, the queen, she says, I'm going to kill you. And it freaked him out, and he took off and ran into the desert. Now, I know there's a lot of married guys that can sympathize with that. <laughs> Fear strikes your heart. You're like, I got to get out of here. She's coming after me. But after defeating 400 prophets of Baal and standing in a place of courage, one threat sent him running away. And we see that there in the desert, in the wilderness, he hits the places of despair, of depression, and even suicide. And God ministers to him in that. Uh, I want us to understand that, you know, God didn't, God didn't rebuke him for where he was at, the confession of his heart. He's like, God, just let me die. Like, I didn't make any difference. It, it didn't work. Like, woo, great victory, but nothing's changed. Ahab and Jezebel are still on the throne. Nothing's, nothing's changed. Nothing is, nothing's moved. And he can't see that big picture. He can't see what God is doing behind the scenes. He can't see the direction that God has begun to take everything because of where he is emotionally. And I want you to understand that there are places in our lives where emotionally the enemy comes in and he, he is an opportunist and he will use where you are, the circumstances of your life. He'll use your emotions against you. He'll use the circumstances of your relationships against you. And it is no shame that the enemy is attacking you. So those places where I've walked in my life where I have felt the weight of depression, those places where I've walked where I have heard suicide saying, hey, this is the answer. It could all be over. It's not a shameful thing to acknowledge those things because when the enemy comes with an attack, you are not what you're being attacked with. You, you understand that? 
Depression, suicide is an attack from the enemy. He's, he is coming against you, whether it's physiologically in your body, he knows you're off and he's coming in with suggestion. He's coming in to just drive that point home to keep you in that place of defeatedness. But that's not who you are. And just because you feel those things, just because you experience those things, just because you're walking through that season, that is not the definition of your identity because that's not who God called you to be. And God calls you out of that identity the enemy is trying to cloak you with and into your true identity. As a father, he comes in and he pulls you out. And if we look at what God did for Elijah, he tells him to rest, he sleep. And then he wakes him up, he says, eat. He sends an angel to give him food, wake up and eat. And then he slept again. And then he woke him up and he says, eat again. So he's tending to his physical needs. He's tending to his emotional needs. You need rest and you need sleep. I know sometimes when we hit places of difficulty and trial and discord, it's like, well, I, got you. I just got to fast so I can hear the word of the Lord. Sometimes you just need a meal and a nap. Sometimes God's will for your life is that you'd have a good meal and take a nap. Jesus napped often. I want to be like Jesus. But after the second time he ate, he gets him up and he goes on a 40-day journey. And out of those two meals, he lives 40 days traveling to Mount Horeb. And this is a place of historical significance. God led him to a place where the Ten Commandments were given, where there was thunder and lightning and storm clouds and crashing. And God called the people of Israel to come close because he was going to speak to them directly. And this was the place where the people of Israel said, yeah, Moses, that really freaks us out. Uh, I, we don't want to come close to the mountain. You go talk to God and you come tell us what he said. And really there was this place, there was a missed opportunity because God was going to speak directly to his people and they, they passed. They were like, mm, Moses, you be, you be the guy. And so for them under the place of the law, the high priest, like there was a separation between God and the people because they backed up. They were like, ah, that's freaky. I don't want to step into that. God brings Elijah to this place. And while he's in this place in the cave, a storm comes, a wind comes, a fire comes, lightning comes, but God wasn't in any of those things like he was the first time. And when Elijah steps out, there's a still, small voice. The gentleness of the Father's heart meets him there and calls him into his identity. And if we were to look at it, he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah's response is this. We look in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 14. This is the response of Elijah to the question God is asking him. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. And you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint his prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. We see here when God was dealing with Elijah in one of the lowest places of his life, he doesn't really rebuke him for feeling the things that he's feeling, but he gives him a proper perspective. In other words, he calls him back into truth. He calls him back into reality. Look, I know this is what fear, depression, suicide, this is what despair is telling you. Let me give you the facts. Let me, let me give you what's actually going on. You see how God is fathering Elijah through this moment. Elijah had lost connection 
with the big picture. He'd lost connection with the direction that God was calling him to. And God very gently brings him to a place and he confronts the lie in his heart. God confronted the lie in Elijah's heart. Hey, it didn't make a difference. I'm all by myself. I'm all alone. Matter of fact, this, this speech that he gives right here, he's rehearsed a couple of different times with God. Like it's, I don't know if you've ever been there where the same thing comes up in your mind, the same complaint. Things will never change. Things never go my way. Things never work out. Never going to win. It's never going to be good. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where it's just like a broken record that's playing over and over and over in your mind, whether it's something about yourself that you hate or whether it's something about your situation that you hate or something about just the relationship or whatever it is that's going on around you. But this is the tactic of the enemy. He wants to play this broken record over and over and over in your mind to keep you bound up in places of defeat. And the Father's heart wants to come and confront the lie in your heart to draw you into places of truth and let you see the things that he is doing because the enemy wants to keep you blinded from the things that God is trying to do. Breakthrough, success, victory, health, wholeness, restoration, redemption. All the work of heaven that's happening that the enemy doesn't want you to see. And it sometimes feels like it's so much easier to fall in the ditch and stay in the ditch than to, to get up and see what it is that God is doing and where he's leading us. So God confronts the lie in Elijah's heart and he tells him, look, I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal or kissed the altar, kissed the idol. 7,000, you're not alone. And if you look at what God did here, he gave him a purpose. He says, I have things for you to do. And then he gave him a direction. He gave him a purpose, he gave him a direction, and then he gave him community connection. Hey, there's 7,000 other brothers and sisters that you've got that have not given in to this idol worship. You are not alone. This is the encouragement that God brought into Elijah's life. And if we look at, if we look at what happened here, when Elijah went into the cave, he was carrying the heart of an orphan. I'm all alone. I'm a failure. There's no hope. There's no way forward. And after God deals with him at, the, at Mount Horeb and he has this experience with God, he exits the cave as a father. And he goes and he anoints Elisha and he brings Elisha into his house and he walks with Elisha for eight years, mentoring him, fathering Elisha because Elisha is the one that's gonna take his place as a prophet. He went in as an orphan and he came out as a father. Why? Because he had an encounter with the father. His identity was shifted. And there are places in our lives where we need to go to the Father. We need to come into contact with truth. We need to allow him to confront the lies in our hearts and call us into places of identity because this is what a father and a mother will do. They will call identity out of the children that they're raising, nurturing, and mentoring. They will call identity out. If you were to look in Scripture, the prophets in Samuel are called the company of prophets or a company of prophets. But after this cave experience on Mount Horeb that Elijah has, they're referred to as the sons of the prophets. They went from a company, a group of guys, a group of people, to the sons of the prophets, a family group. There was a community connection that was made in a really deep and intimate way that God was calling them into because of what he was doing here with Elijah. And I believe that's been the heart of God all along. I believe that family connection is what it is, is really the heartbeat of heaven. When Jesus showed up on the scene and he started talking about my father in heaven, they wanted to put him to death because he was so intimately connected with Father God. And they're like, that's blasphemous. But that's actually the design from the very beginning in the garden. When God walked with Adam and Eve daily, he wanted that family connection, he had that father's heart to be poured out over us. 
when Elijah called Elisha to come and be his, his disciple, to come and walk with him, he walked with him for eight years and he, he saw all the things Elijah did. He went everywhere Elijah went. He was mentored under his hand. He, he grew up being fathered by Elijah. And when God told Elijah, hey, I'm, I'm gonna take you, and he kind of told him how, Elijah was trying to ditch Elisha for like that whole day. Like, hey, uh, you stay here, I gotta go to Bethel. And uh, Elisha's like, hey, no, I'm, where you go, I'm going, I'm coming with you. You're not leaving me. He's like, okay, cool. And then they get to Bethel and he says, uh, hey, you stay here, I, uh, God's called me to Jericho, so you hang out here, I gotta go. And Elisha's like, nope, where you're going, I'm going. Like, you're not getting rid of me, I'm sticking close to you. Because he knew, he knew, he had a prophetic revelation, God's gonna take Elijah from me today. And I don't wanna be separated from him when this happens. His heart was to be near his father who had been this, this, this leading figure and it had poured into him, invested in him. He didn't want Elijah to go alone. He wanted to be there, he wanted to be with him because of the connection that they had. And he said is that they came to the Jordan River, there were 50 sons of the prophets that were standing there watching them because they had prophetic revelation. You read the story, they knew what was going on too, and they kept telling Elijah, hey, you know your master's going up today. Do you know Elijah's leaving today? He said, yeah, no, shh, shh, don't tell him, just stop talking about it. So they're all standing out there watching him as they come up to the Jordan River, and Elijah takes the mantle off, and he rolls it up, and he slaps the water, and when he slaps the water, it parts, and they walk over on dry land. And as they're walking along, it says they're having a conversation, and uh, Elijah asks Elisha, hey, what do you want me to do for you before I go? What's, ask whatever you want. What is it that you want? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of what you had. The spirit of God that was on you, the miracles that you performed, the call of God on your life, I want, I want double of that. And Elijah tells him, you've asked a hard thing, but look, if you see me when I go up, when God takes me, you'll have it. But if you don't, you won't get it. And it says, shortly after that, there was a chariot and horse of fire that came between them and separated them and just like cut them off from each other. This fiery distraction comes along and it says that Elijah went up in a whirlwind. But Elisha saw him. He watched him go up. And this is what he said. This is what came out of his heart as he watches this. In 2 Kings chapter 12. No, 2. 2 Kings 2. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. And he also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, the one that he parted the waters with. And he went back and he stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elisha crossed over just as he had with Elijah signifying that he now had the mantle. He had the spirit of Elijah. The spirit of God that was with Elijah is now with Elisha. I remember when I was a kid, I could not keep them straight. Like, I didn't know who came first. Elijah, Elisha, it's like Tim, Tom, Sally, Sarah, like so close together, like who's who? Elisha was the son. Elijah was the father, not by blood, but by spirit, by experience, by relationship. It says, now the sons, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they witnessed them go over together, same miracle. They witnessed Elisha come back alone, parts the waters and steps across. When they saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And what happened there was the sons of the prophets continued with Elisha and looked to him as a father's voice, the father's voice in their life to mentor, to guide, to raise up. 
And I think this is the design of God in our life to the point where, you know, in the discussions that we've had in leadership with Sam and, you know, what we would call an eldership, traditionally would be an eldership. We don't even use that term so much as we talk about mothering and fathering because I believe that's God's heart for his people. Not in a place of control or dictation, but in a place where mothers and fathers call identity out of people. And not only do they call identity out of people, but they also confront the places where there's a lie in people's hearts. Sometimes a mother and a father's heart can see in someone something that they don't see in themselves. And they try to call it, not, a, not, in, a, not in a sense of, uh, you know, well, I want my son to be a doctor. I want my son to be a lawyer because I want them to be rich and successful and highly respected. Not that kind of thing. Not like the, the agenda kind of thing. But, hey, I see what God's put in you. And I just feel like if we could, if we could confront these couple of things that are blocking it, that I feel like you could fully stand up in what God has put in you. That's a mother and father's heart. That's what God has called us to be in walking with each other. And I, I feel like I feel really privileged and I feel a place of, of, of real joy and gratitude because when, when we began this journey here at Mountain, just before Sam and Jessica came, when Sam and Jessica showed up on the scene, I, I was approaching 50. He had just turned 30. But when I came into contact with him and his heart and I saw what God was doing in his heart, there was a match there. Some of the things that God was doing and saying in Sam's heart matched some of the things God was doing and saying in my heart. And then there were places where Sam had wisdom and insight into things that, that he spoke into my life as a father's voice. Almost 20 years older than him. And he has the humility of there's places where he allows me to speak things in his life in a father's voice. And so we walk together in partnership, in a family relationship, and we're able to be that for one another. And it's something that we're cultivating in the leadership group and the people around us where we have the ability to speak the heart of the Father to one another. Because it's not about hierarchy. It's not about who's in control, whose vision's in charge, or you know who gets to call the direction of what we're gonna do, where we're gonna go. But it's about how can we capture the Father's heart and how can we translate that into the people that we're walking with and call them into places of destiny so that they can stand up out of the weights the enemies tried to hook on them so that they can walk in the fullness of who God says that they are, who he created them to be. Because there's no agenda that's overriding, overarching, whatever it looks like, whatever success, victory is supposed to look like, whether it's, you know, a certain congregation size or building size or finance size or what, there's none of that. It's about calling sons and daughters to stand up and they grow to become mothers and fathers. Calling them into destiny and identity. Fathers and mothers model healthy living relationships. If you look a little bit into to 2 Kings, you get to chapter 6, you see where Elisha, he's living with the, with the sons of the prophets. They're all, you know, they're in community. They live together. They're family. And they basically come to him one day, and they're like, hey, Elisha, that place where we live is really small, and it's crowded because there's a lot of people here. And, you know, when you live in close proximity, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but you, you know when each other's breath stinks. You, you know when their feet are smelly. You, you know when they didn't clean up their leftovers. You know when they didn't do their dishes. You know when their laundry's left laying around. You know what I mean? When you, have you ever lived like on top of other people in the house? It gets tight and it can get hairy and it can get um, detrimental to relationship, let's just say. So they come to Elisha and they're like, hey, let's all go out. We'll go down by the river. Everybody will cut a beam. We'll come back. We'll build a place big enough for all of us to live together. And Elisha's like, cool. And they're like, we want you to come with us. And he's like, all right, I'll come with you. And while they're there, <clears throat> while they're there, one of the men 
loses his axe head in the river. He's, he's trying to cut this tree down. Axe head pops off the handle, goes in the river, and he's, he kind of he freaks out because he's like, oh, it was borrowed. That's not even mine. And now it's in the river. And the phrase that he uses, I thought, was very, very, very telling. In verse 5 of 2 Kings chapter 6, it says, But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master. That word translated master actually is Adonai. You heard that before. It's the root word of Adonai, which means Lord or master, but it also has a root meaning of father. This is the relationship that he walked in. He's like, just as, just as Elisha cried out, my father, my father, as Elijah was taken up, this guy loses his accent. And he's like, oh, that's not even mine. And he cries out to his father, his spiritual father, his mentor. And what does Elisha do? He comes over, he says, where did it fall? And he's like, right there in the water. He cuts a stick, throws a stick in the water, and the iron axe head floats. And he's like, get it. The guy reaches out and grabs it. So that's one of those miracles in the Bible that I'm like, God, what spiritual significance does that have? Like, I don't see the deeper meaning of eternity in a floating axe head, other than the fact that God cares for his people. And when there's a need, like this guy borrowed something, he gave his word, I'm going to bring it back. Thank you for letting me use it. And then something is lost. And because the man of God came and he stepped into the situation with grace, nothing was lost, but everything was reclaimed. But he reached out to his father in that moment because that's the relationship that was being built with the sons of the prophets as they dwelt together. And we see that when Jesus showed up on the scene, John the Baptist went before him and John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. As a matter of fact, when the angel was prophesying the birth of John to his father, Zechariah, this is what he says in Luke chapter, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Speaking of John the Baptist, he says, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And when John showed up on the scene preaching a a testimony or a a message of repentance, he didn't have like all of the miracles and all of the, the supernatural things happening that Elijah had happening, but the spirit and power of Elijah was to turn the hearts of fathers to their children to turn the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to prepare people's hearts for the coming of the Lord, which was Jesus, salvation, life, God in human flesh. That was the spirit and power of Elijah. And what does Jesus do when he first shows up on the scene? He ticks everybody off. He ticks everybody off, first of all, by healing on the Sabbath and then referring to Almighty God as his father, bringing their relationship down to an intimate level. And they wanted to kill him for it. This is part of the spirit and power that Elijah brought. This family connection, this this fathering heart, this place of God's heart for your people is the same heart we ought to have for one another. In John 5, 19 through 23, we see this picture. When they confront Jesus about healing on the Sabbath, he says, my father has been working up until now and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because not only he broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. 
For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all honor, that all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. He really tied together this intimate place between Father and Son, and they hated him for it. Matter of fact, they missed the heart of the Father because the heart of the Father was standing before them in human flesh, and they rejected it. Sometimes the voice of a father or mother will provoke rebellion in the hard-hearted. When Jesus showed up on the scene speaking the voice of the father, there were those that rebelled and rejected. The Pharisees rejected it because it was a, it was a threat to their power dynamic, this place that they had, this status that they knew the law, they knew what God said, they knew what God wanted. And then Jesus came and challenged all of that and rebellion popped up in their heart. They rejected the message of heaven. They rejected the heart of heaven because it didn't fit their paradigm. It didn't fit their scheme. It didn't fit what they had built, these castles and these, these places of kingdom that they had built for themselves where they were at the top and they got to decide and they were the rulers. And they're like, we're not gonna stand for this. You don't get to come and tear our kingdom down. Even though it was God's kingdom that Jesus was building. If you think about Judas, Judas had a heart of rebellion against the message of God because it, it didn't suit Judas's agenda. If you think about Judas, Judas was a disciple almost from the beginning. They trusted him with the money. He was there. He saw everything. He saw the miracles. He was a part of the ministry of Jesus. But he expected Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire and establish God's kingdom like he wanted it now. And when he began to realize Jesus was not going to go along with that scheme, he rebelled. The voice of a father and mother will provoke rebellion in the hard-hearted because it's got to be my way, my agenda. God, I need you to do this, and it's got to be in this way at this time, and there's no other way because this is what I need to have happen. I'm not honestly seeking the father's heart. I'm really dictating terms. And I'm not saying we shouldn't ask for things. We should, but it's asking, not dictating. And Judas had a place of immaturity. Judas had a wound. Judas had such a smallness of vision and such smallness and hardness of heart that he couldn't get aligned with what it was that God was doing. And that's why he ended up being the son of perdition, committed suicide after he betrayed Jesus. There are places in our lives where we feel like there are things that we need we started with Elijah. Elijah thought, I need to die because I'm done. And God confronts that lie in his heart. and He says, no, there's more for you to do. I've got a destiny for you, Elijah. And he gave him his purpose. He gave him direction. And he gave him community connection. There are places in our lives sometimes where we feel like there's only one thing I need and God, I don't understand why you won't give it to me. Like, I just need this one thing to happen. Maybe it's a relationship. God, I just need love in my life. I just need a husband. I just need a wife. I just need this, or I just need that, or I just need this job, or if I could just live there, or if I could just be a part of this, or even some people in ministry. If I could have a ministry that speaks to the nations, like they, we get our hearts captured on this one thing, and that becomes our idol. That becomes the precious that no one, nothing can touch. And even God, we are offended when he touches that thing because we've lost the plot. That's common. It's easy to do. But a tender heart, a heart of a son or a daughter who's trusting Heavenly Father, when God comes and says, no, I'm going to take you this way. I know you wanted to go that way, but I'm going to take you this way. Our hands are open. We're surrendered. Like our hearts are yielded to what it is that God has. We have to be very, very careful of those places where we get so entrenched on, it's got to look like this and it's got to be in this way because this must be the will of God. 
everything that God has called me to in the last 10, 12 years, it's, it's been held like this. Okay, God, I'm carrying this for now, but my hand is open. If you want to take it, if you want to move it, if you want to rearrange it, if you want to change it, it's in your hands. It's all yours. Like, this is even mine. I'm just carrying it for now. I recognize where I am. I recognize who I am as a steward. It's not about me. It's not about my identity. Even though he calls me an identity through the things he calls me to, ultimately, he gets to define what it looks like and how it turns out. I came to a place a few years back, my wife and I both, where everything in our lives was falling apart. And there were so many, places, so many paths to disaster, whether it was the, the end of our marriage, whether it was, you know, the end of our family, our bankrupt, like all these things. Like there's just disaster all the way around. And there were so many things that was just like, oh, God, that, like this could go bad in so many different ways. And he led me to a place where he says, I want you to surrender all those things to me. Those things that carry the greatest weight of fear, those things that come and haunt you, those things that have the loudest voice of disaster or doom. He goes, I want you to surrender those things to me. And what I did is I started this exercise where I imagined the worst possible thing that could happen. Like that last thing in the world I absolutely do not want to happen. And I thought about what would that be like? What would it feel like? What would the, what would the fallout be? What would the results, if catastrophe happened, what would my life be like? And I sat in it and I felt it. Like I tried to imagine what, what that would be in my life. And then I took that thing and I said, okay, God, this is, I don't want that to happen but I'm gonna surrender my right to have that not happen to you. I'm gonna release it to you. And it's very interesting thing happened. When you have closed off the voice of fear, in other words, when you have embraced the thing that is trying to scare the living daylights out of you, it no longer holds any power in your life. In other words, when the prospect of that thing rises its head, you say, okay. God, I pray this doesn't happen. But if it does, I still trust you because I've already surrendered it to you. I've already laid it down. So you can't, you can't terrorize me by threatening me with loss, sorrow, pain. You can't, you can't take these things and use them against me as a weapon because I have already reconciled this in my heart before God. So there's no energy. There's no, there's no material for you to work with because I've already released these things to God. Whether it's the loss of my business to the loss of my life, loss of my health, loss of my family, whatever it is, I've already surrendered these things to God. And absolutely, I stand in faith against those things, against sickness, against broken relationship, broken marriage, broken business, bankruptcy. I stand in faith against those things. But if those things were to come to pass, I still trust God because I know my Father's heart. I know who I'm in relationship with. So the thing that you and I walk in terror of, you need to take the power out of the enemy's hand with those things and you need to surrender those things to God. Because Father's heart for you is so much greater than what fear has in store for you. And he's greater than the circumstances of your life. I think there's a very interesting parallel here from Elijah to Elisha. When Elisha walks away from Elijah being taken up, he walks away with a double portion of God's spirit. I think it's interesting when Jesus came, in, in John chapter 5, when they're all complaining about him healing on the Sabbath, he goes, hey, God's going to do greater works than this. It's going to blow your mind. He said, that ye may marvel, King James. It's going to blow your mind. Like you're not going to believe the greater things that God is going to do. And then just before Jesus went up, in John chapter 14, this phrase comes up again. Listen to what he says in John 14, 12 through 18. This is Jesus speaking. 
He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, this is like towards the end of his ministry, right? He's already done these, all these crazy mind-blowing miracles. He says, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. This Elijah, Elisha anointing where greater was given the double portion. Elisha went forward in a greater measure of the spirit of God to do greater things. Jesus calls the church. He calls you and I to walk in because Jesus says the things that I came and that I did while I was here, the manifestation of God's heart and the spirit of God while I was here, greater works are you gonna do? There's a double portion on the church of Jesus Christ to go and do the things that the heart of the father did through Jesus. And I think sometimes we make it about we make it about the miracle or we make it about the prayer. Or we make it about the situation. And it's more about the heart of the father behind it. God, what's your heart for this situation? When I stand and I'm praying for someone for healing, I'm trying to connect with father's heart for this person who's sick. And I know my father's heart and I know his desires, not that they walk in sickness. So when I pray healing, I pray a prayer of faith for healing because I know God's heart for them. And if we get in connection with God's heart, it doesn't matter what the details look like because we know the heart we're connected to, that's the heart that we bring to whatever situation there is. And that's the call of God in our lives that we walk in greater works, not walking as orphans, but that we walk as sons and daughters, knowing who we're connected to. And as we walk in sons and daughters, God calls us to become more like him and more like Jesus. And as we grow to become more like him, sons and daughters grow to become mothers and fathers and they mother and father others. That's the whole point of our life. And there's a place when we're growing and maturing where there's this weight that we begin to feel coming upon us, a greater responsibility. And we have a decision to make, just like the people standing in the mountain with the fire and lightning and thunders and the voice of God. We can step back and shirk responsibility or we can say, no, I'm leaning into this. I've been fathered well. I've been mothered well. I want to lean forward. I want to I grow up. I want to become like my father in heaven. And we can take the weight of responsibility to bear with others, to mother and father them, to walk with God's heart in our heart, not just about our circumstances situation, but about theirs as well, to love others the way he's loved us. And really that's the growth of maturity, right? That's the place God calls us to when we're young and we get older as we come up through high school and then up into college. There are these measures where, the, wow, there's a new place of responsibility. I have to get myself up in the morning, get ready to go to school. Maybe I have to get my own breakfast ready, get ready to go to school. Maybe I have to get a job to earn the things that I really want because mom and dad aren't just going to give them to me anymore. Like all of these steps of responsibility. Stepping into marriage is one of those. Being a responsible employee, trustworthy employee is one of those. Growing to maybe your supervisor, your manager, your business owner, your father, your husband, your wife all of these places where God calls us into responsibility to reflect who he is. And if we draw back from those things in fear, like, oh, I, don't, I wouldn't know how to do that. I'm, I, I'm not equipped for that. Well, then we haven't really made connection with Father's heart because he's been equipping us. He's been, he's been revealing what he put in us the whole time. And being a good mom and dad to the kids that were born to you looks like representing the Father's heart well to them. 
Being a good boss looks like representing God's heart well to your employees. And I'm not talking about you preaching a sermon to them every day at work. It doesn't mean you can't share. I'm just saying, be a good father, be a good mother's voice in their life because it's not just about what you get from them, but who God made them to be. It ought to be that way in every area of life with your neighbors, the people you go to church with, people you go to school with, work with, your family. Yes, that brother-in-law. Even if they're not open to you, Represent Father's heart well, even if they won't hear you. You don't know what seed you're planting. Because God's got the big picture. And sometimes I feel like we, we feel like we have this micro view. It's such a good word Gibran brought today. All we see is the thing in front of us, and that can lead us to places of depression, despair, and suicidal tendencies. But when we get the Father's heart, there's hope. Because we understand that he holds eternity in his hands. And not only does he hold eternity in his hands, he holds the design of my life in his hands. And if I will cooperate with him, then the things that he has spoken over me in my life are the things that he's going to draw out of me and bring to pass. For me, for my family, for my community. It really is trusting in the father's heart. And the more we trust in father's heart, the more we become a father and mother to those around us because we represent him well. So I'm not asking you today to try to become or be something that you feel like, whoa, that's way beyond me. No. Lean into your relationship with the Father and represent Him well. The more you get to know Him, the more intimate your connection, the more your love relationship with Him grows, the better you can represent Him to those around you. You become the hands and feet. You become the voice of God in their lives. Not because I want to be somebody and I want a title. I want to be evangelist, prophet, so-and-so. No, because I... I have a loving father and he loves me so well. How can I not bring love to you? Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.